Hello, and welcome to episode one of The Hubcast. This is a podcast created for the Hub community, where we're having conversations with members of our community as a chance for us to get connected and hear from folks we maybe haven't heard from in a while. And it's also an opportunity for us to have conversations about times that we have been wrong. We think this is a really valuable thing to do, to look back, to realize that we're not always right, that we're not always perfect, and that it's okay to acknowledge that and to find depth and meaning in the lessons we can learn from the times that we have been wrong. So this first episode is a conversation uh, between me, uh, Keegan Irish, and Olivia Schultz. And there's a lot of good stuff in here. So I hope you enjoy this first episode of The Hubcast. All right, here we go. Mm-hmm. Welcome to uh, our first episode of The Hubcast with a guest. We have, of course, we've done a couple interviews. We don't know what order we're going to release these, but we've done a couple interviews with our with our hosts to, uh, you know, do some experimenting, see how this works. And here we have our first guest, Olivia Schultz, my dear friend, coming at us all the way from Montreal. How are you doing? Um, today I'm doing pretty well. It's uh, going to be a high of 15, which is beautiful nice. for coming out of a dark and gloomy winter in Montreal. Um, nice. I started my morning off by visiting all the neighborhood cats on my alley, and there's quite a few. I saw at least <laughs> yeah, six. <there> is. <laughs> so. I, uh, I remember um, when you first encountered these, these cats, and I'm, I'm, I haven't heard about them for a while. Have you kept up a rapport with the neighborhood cats? Of course, yeah. So there's like, there were five that were born last year in the alley, black cats, five black cats. Wow. And I've watched them grow throughout the winter. They've actually lived outside the whole winter, which is pretty amazing. Yeah. Um, there's this really, really like wild lion cat that lives <laughs> at the end of the alley. And um, I've named it Petunia. She has like <laughs> so much hair and uh, just like so cuddly. There's a lot of really cuddly cats in Montreal. Wow. Um, but no, yeah, they, they're all, for the most part, stay outside. Uh, so I've been able to keep up a rapport. Um, Were you always a cat person? You know, it's funny. I I grew up with a lot of dogs. Um, and I we kind of accumulated two cats that kind of found us rather than we found them. Gotcha. Um, but I love dogs. They're just more of an undertaking. And when COVID happened, I was like... Oh, I miss having a pet. Uh, so I actually adopted a cat um, oh, in October. So not only yeah. do you have the street cats, but you have a home cat mm-hmm. too. Okay, Cats everywhere. Yes. So my cat's name is Sofa. And <laughs> <laughs> he came with that name and I love it. <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, we've got Olivia here. Olivia is a uh, Cave Springs alum past a... Uh, uh lid staff but uh, some folks might not uh know you so why don't you tell us uh what you've got going on these days how have you been doing mm-hmm. before that i think it's important to mention because keegan is a part of this club too we're actually golden laker alumni oh, whoa, that's true. Cool. yes wow. family camp like wow. many many years of family camp so um, do you know now one of my coworkers was the director of golden lake like back in the day probably when i went there uh no for way. family camp yeah her name That's is so her name is beth and we realized wow. we realized this and she knew who i was like right away whoa no way <laughs> <Yeah>. what <laughs> did she know before or was it just i, I don't know she might have she might have i, I, I don't know the detail there but mm-hmm. yeah i thought that was yeah. neat so Keegan and I go back to the Golden Lake era. Wow, that's true. But, uh, I know, right? <laughs> um, but yeah, so these days I'm doing well. I live in Montreal. I've been here for about a year and a half. Um, I'm here primarily for my master's program, which I study religions and cultures at Concordia mm. University. Um, specifically, though, my research centers on uh, purity culture, sexuality, and Christianity, um, also religious trauma and affect. And for those of you who don't know affect, it's like 
the ways that uh, collective emotions direct us within ourselves. Um, I find that so interesting and will relate to probably things we talk about later on. Mm. Um, and uh, yeah, I've spent the majority of my time in Montreal in my apartment as a result of COVID, uh, which is kind of funny to move to a city and then end up staying in the apartment most of the time. But I honestly really... I think there was a lot of people who during this COVID time benefited from being inside and just kind of not going many places. I was diagnosed with fibromyalgia right before oh, uh, no. the, yeah, right before the uh, COVID lockdown mm -hmm. happened. So for me, it was really like a perfect time to work on just going at a slow pace and mm -hmm. having healing and stuff. So I really do appreciate that space, even though it was uh, not for a good purpose necessarily. But um, yeah, these days I spend a lot of time in class. I'm a TA right now for a course on death and dying, which I really love. Wow. Um, yeah, which is also an interesting time to be TAing a course on death and dying during COVID. Dying, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So there's been a lot of really neat conversations. Um, yeah. The other courses I'm in right now center around Christianity and sexuality, which is Very super cool. fun. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. um and i'm just i'm almost done my program i'm just preparing for my final uh thesis project where i'm actually going to be interviewing joshua harris if people know him he wrote a book called yeah. i kiss dating goodbye and didn't yeah. he turn against it later uh-huh yeah he did okay he deconverted <laughs> from the purity movement that he started. So. <laughs> wow. wow. And you got in for the big interview, eh? That's exciting. Yeah. That's really cool. Yeah. Yeah. I'm That's looking forward to it. I'm definitely nervous. I feel a little underqualified, yeah. but I'm also like, you know, let's just see what happens. I've been doing so much reading. It's just a conversation, right? And right. That's, that's cool. Um, I, I'm curious for, uh, you know, maybe you can answer this as... Uh, since I'm a religious studies nerd, uh, what what kind of methodologies are you using? Like, it's just primarily like sociological kind of research, or? Um, well, no, I'm actually more of a historian in this uh, paper. Awesome. So I'm going to be tracking how. So my my research question is. Uh, like, how did purity culture sweep up a generation of people? And how was it perpetuated, um, even though there were like, fine tuned critiques coming out about the people who had been harmed? Mm -hmm. And now why are there people deconverting? Mm -hmm. So I'm using a uh, historical analysis to like trace how purity culture came to exist and how it was geared towards adolescence and how, uh, you know, um, telling youth that abstaining from sex was one of the biggest ways that they could uh, both save their nation, dedicate their lives to Christ and all of that. Like, how did that come to happen? Yeah. How did uh, celebrity individuals kind of um, promote it? But then I also am looking at um, ethnography. So like the interview with Joshua Harris and then affect is also going to be a big part of it too. So just kind of how individuals become convicted and convinced of something, um, even to believe that something is like the Holy Spirit in them. Um, though it could just be like a movement yeah um so you're a religious studies nerd that's exciting oh, yeah, tell me more about stuff. that um i'm curious have you um so are you reading like kaya oaks have you read her at all on this stuff? i don't know who that is okay but i would love to know yeah another one that i, I i'm gonna give a book recommendation is um this book against what does the white evangelical want by tad delay mm. highly recommend that one he's got a great great chapter in there on purity culture and so methodologically mm. he's more of like uh, a psychoanalyst and kind of um mm. but it's really really wonderful and uh dovetails really nicely with uh, some of the stuff that you're checking out so if you're looking Very for cool. more readings right now definitely i always am i feel yeah. like i want to like know everything there is out there before i do this <laughs> totally. so did you study religious studies in university or? I, I did yeah I studied, uh, uh -huh. that was my undergraduate uh, program was in religious studies. And um, so uh, I had, so I went to the University of Kings in Halifax and you have to sort of pair their contemporary studies program with another program. And so at, at mm -hmm. Dalhousie, and so I did religious studies at that time. And uh, then I went to 
um, the Institute for Christian Studies for my master's, which mm. I did in philosophy, but there's a ton of like religious studies overlap there as well. For so sure. yeah, it's definitely stuff I'm pretty invested in. So that's really exciting that you're getting into that research. Yeah, it's it's super cool. And I think a lot of people are like a lot of people don't really know what religious studies is, yeah. but it is such a cool field where you touch upon so many different topics and mm -hmm. really just look at how like a different perspective of uh, how the world is operating today, um, especially because religions are becoming maybe more prominent than less prominent. Yeah. Well, certainly there was the old like secularization thesis where mm -hmm. it's like, oh, religion's just, Wrong. yeah, just going to fade away. <laughs> it's just going to disappear. You know, it's all going to roll back. And I think, you know, historically it's been shown that uh, that's not really the case. <laughs> mm -hmm. And uh, things are yeah. a bit more complex than that. So um, it sure. is sort of an exciting time for the field to be like, oh, like, this old thesis that had been sort of what a lot of people operated with for, you know, the better part of 50 plus years isn't mm -hmm. really, uh, isn't really making sense considering the historical developments we've seen. So trying to understand yeah. that in some new ways. I mean, that's rare for a scholarly field to be like, oh, we were, we get this whole big like turnabout in this new, uh, new moment of relevance. So. Yeah, mm. it's, it is exciting time. In a way, we could bring like religious studies to this podcast and be like, they were wrong. They thought yeah. that secularization was going to happen. Tying but... it in. It's true. Right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the scholars were wrong about. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I can just tell this is uh, this is going to be a good one because uh, I'm I'm just happy to sit here listening. Um, so if I'm uh, if I'm here in the moment, just wanting to listen, then uh, hopefully uh, folks will want to listen to this one. You both have uh, both have some good stuff there. Nice. Um, before, uh, I mean, it feels like it feels like we're almost like taking a step back and then taking a step back in. Um, mm -hmm. But uh, our, our go to opener question, even though we've already gotten into the good stuff. Um, Olivia, can you tell us about something you were wrong about as a child? Yeah. So um, I'm going to throw back to grade two. Oh, yeah. And picture it's rainy lunchtime and you're inside, you have lunchroom monitors and they're like, all right, so we're going to play heads up seven up. And really nice. um, classic, you know, for everyone who does not know that game, quick overview is that seven people go to the front of the room and then everyone puts their heads down. People walk around and tap an individual's head. And then the individuals whose head have been tapped have to like try and guess who tapped them on the head. So mm. um, I was very adamant. I love this game. Um, but in between one of the rounds, uh, my friend Connor and I were trying to get chips from this girl that always had the best kind of snacks at lunch. <laughs> you know, those kids, <laughs> oh, yeah. my mom always sends us healthy food and I was like, I want the candy and chips. Yeah, totally. And, uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, um, I asked her and she gave me chips and I was very thankful, but then she didn't give my friend Connor chips. So I decided to sit out of heads up seven up and, uh, there was a round going on and everyone's head was down. And when everyone's head was down, I stuck my hand into that bag of chips and I pulled out a ton of chips and put them in Connor's lunchbox. And as like a, a grade two year old person, I, didn't realize that the lunchroom monitors would see that this would ha was happening <laughs> and uh, they stopped the whole heads up seven up and they told everyone what I just did and oh. <laughs> wow. made me wow. apologize to the girl and then apologize to everyone for uh, making the game stop and I was like very like oh my god obviously it was wrong um and uh, in in retrospect, I'm kind of like, okay, well, as we talk about wrong, like wrong is also a societal construct of like what is right and wrong in this society. And sure. 
in this in this instance i didn't have her consent so i should not have taken her chips but it's also a damn shame that uh. connor did not have access to these <laughs> chips <laughs> yeah. in the equal way oh sure there's a justice angle here yeah, yeah. <laughs> like we we should have been having a chip tax the equitable <laughs> equitable redistribution of chips you know yeah. <laughs> chips for all yeah <laughs> <laughs> but that was a formative experience. I feel like when you get caught being wrong when you're young, you kind of like don't want to be wrong again publicly. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. There's there's definitely like a shame element to that. Like I'm feeling like a secondhand like oh they called you out and they made yeah. you apologize and like it's like <laughs> yeah. intense enough and like I'm like oh I gotta avoid being in that situation and uh, so that's why we got this like podcast going. I'm just like trying to create a space where we're like yeah I I Robin Hooded those chips. I'll admit it. <laughs> and it's okay. Yeah. Yeah. That's like such a public school moment too, yeah. you know. I feel like Totally. Yeah, you're you're always being like publicly shamed. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so it's like so true. A huge part of like your formative education years is like, look at what they've done, you know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Mocking you in front of your peers, you know. Ah yes, this will help the children develop into normal, uh, well adjusted people, no problem. Yes. Yeah, make them willful early. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, can you tell us? Uh, can you tell us a, uh, a, a funny or dumb mistake uh, you made recently? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, okay. So it's not super recent, but it's decently recent. That's okay. Um, so this one happened when I was a youth leader at Westside Baptist Church, and um, we were at snow camp, um, which is a February uh, like youth camp weekend oh, yeah. up north. And uh, I drove my parents, well, my dad's uh, Equinox, and I brought my I brought like four youth girls with me in the car and so it's the last day and uh we're packing up and everything and uh my youth leader my youth pastor he was like okay so we want to all like come together and like park in the same place because we're gonna get a photo and I was like okay so the place he wanted us to park um was like on a hill and keep in mind it's winter it's snowy uh so it's like on a hill that he wants us to park on and then the hill kind of like goes onto the road so you just briefly pull off the road so there was like a few cars there but not many so I drive up pull up straight in and then I jump out of my car because I see my youth girls with all of their pack stuff and I'm super excited so also like nervous you know so I uh, jumped out of my car and then suddenly before I even had my car door closed the car starts rolling backwards down the hill yeah and i'm like (laughs) in my uh kind of naivete i was like pushing on the car door thinking like if i could muster enough strength i will like the car would stop moving if i just could push hard enough but it just kept rolling backwards i'm like yelling at the youth girls who were behind the car like move out of the way and then um I looked down and I was like, damn, like, if this car keeps moving backwards, then it's going to roll into like a pile of snow. Like it was just a hill like down. And um, then my car door, if you can picture my car door was not closed. So the car door then gets caught on the wheel arch of the car next to me. And the wheel arch yeah so the wheel arch is a little dent that like protects the the wheel of the other car and so then um because of the force of the car still rolling backwards the door just gets cranked completely open and snaps partly off but because of that it actually stopped the car from moving so i was like okay well this is bad but at least it didn't roll down yeah and uh so i went up and i checked what happened and it turned out that i forgot to put my car in park and so it was a the mistake was i got out of my car too quick um and it was a big mistake too because i broke my my dad's car door and also really harmed the cars next to me wheel arch and my car door was like partly snapped off so 
my youth leader had to get like a bunch of just random guys to lift the door and somehow push it on and we locked it quickly and I wasn't able to use that door uh the rest of the drive home uh, because if I opened it it would just fall wow. off probably so you you drove like you drove with your door mm-hmm. yeah tenuously attached for the rest of the trip yeah. <laughs> amazing <laughs> yeah. it was a really big mistake yeah. wow what a story these are like my worst fears in driving for sure <laughs> You know, yeah. you know, it's like, oh, what if something just really alarming happens? You know, yeah, that's the that's the danger. Well, at least yeah. at least someone got hurt. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, except mm-hmm. for perhaps your <laughs> wallet or something like this. Yeah. <laughs> There's this beautiful moment in there where, like, however misguided, I think it was an it was a nice moment where the car starts to move and you're like, oh, I can push this. Like that, like just that beautiful <laughs> self confidence and your like strength and power as a person is like that's like a yeah. nice thing. To, I'm I'm uh, I'm psyched for you that that was your reaction, and you didn't immediately doubt your ability. <laughs> Raw strength, especially pushing on the door. As soon as I heard that, I knew the door was gonna break. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, oh, I no. just really didn't want it to happen. So, <laughs> yeah. Wow. That's a great one. Oh, Thanks. That's great. That's, uh, that's great. <laughs> all of these uh, big mistake stories end up being this like delightful blend of like humor and like very tense shoulders as I'm listening. <laughs> Just imagine that can happen to me. Yeah. yeah. It's sure. true. It's like funny to look back on these mistakes that, yeah, may have been like traumatizing or harmful, but now you're just kind of like, okay, it's no big deal. Like for a while after that happened, I didn't want to tell anyone why. Like I was just like, yeah, my guard just slipped on ice. But now it's like, okay, no, it was my mistake of getting too caught up in the moment to not put my car in park. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, um, <laughs> Already some good uh, faith conversation going on, some conversation around, um, you know, places that people have been uh, wrong in, in Christianity. But uh, we're going to bring it in to, to you, Olivia. Um, I'd love to hear mm-hmm. um, in, your, in your spiritual journey, in your experience of, of faith, could you tell us about uh, something that you were wrong about? Mm-hmm. So I found this question to be a tough one because... Uh, Tim knows this, and maybe a few other people in the community know this, but uh, after I was a lid leader in 2017, I feel like my whole life and my whole faith just kind of shattered. Mm. Um, And trying to put it back together, make sense of it, uh, recognizing a lot of ways that I was wrong in my faith. Um, But the largest thing I think... Uh, that I could say I was wrong about. And I want to really give space to talk about this because it might sound a little wild and uh, sort of uh, apostate kind of way. But uh, I, <laughs> I learned that I was wrong about the voice of the Holy Spirit and in my head. And I think even uh, an expansion of that is... I felt like for a long time, I grew up thinking that there was only one expression of the voice of the Holy Spirit. And so I was constantly seeking this one voice. And um, also in a similar fashion, anytime I heard other people saying to me, you know, I heard the Holy Spirit say this, or, or you listen to a podcast and you hear someone talking about their experience with the Holy Spirit. Um, I kind of just took all of those things to be the same. Um, this is all the same Holy Spirit. And I can kind of attribute equal truth to each one of these voices. Mm. Um, and I think the really confusing thing for me was that I've been in so many different Christian spaces, like Baptist, non-denom, United, as we all know. Um, uh, and then I was at Redeemer University College, which is a reformed uh, college. So, so many different kind of perspectives and denominations, and each of those had different perceptions of what they believe the Holy Spirit to be saying. Mm -hmm. And it was really confusing for me to be trying to navigate what I perceived the Holy Spirit to be while also 
uh, hearing everyone have different perceptions of the Holy Spirit. And so for a long time, I thought it was me that I was just wrong. I couldn't, I thought I knew what the Holy Spirit was. And that was always something that I, like when Tim met me, uh, mm. I remember our, one of our first conversations was uh, we were going on a hike and he was asking me all these questions about faith and stuff. And um, at the time there had been kind of a few hard things happen in my family life. And so I was like saying things like, well, I don't always know how things are going to work out, but I know the Holy Spirit. So I know that I'm going to be okay. And Tim was like, do you really know the Holy Spirit though? (laughs) (laughs) It just kind of like, how do you know that it's the Holy Spirit? And, um, that Tim was really sowing the me doubt, thinking. eh? I mean, I yeah. I remember well, no. that. Like, I remember being like, "Oh, that's like that must be nice for her." I, I don't know what that's like, um, but I, I I think I feel like I remember being like, "Oh, I don't want to tell you what I think about this because I don't want to like ruin your faith or something." Um, and and you like prodding it out of me, and then me being like, "Well, I don't know. Um, I don't know. I'm I'm maybe being too defensive to be innocent." Um, but go on. Well, yeah. It could have been something like that. Um, But the moral of the story was it did come out, Mm. right? And so then uh, subsequently after that, um, I was just wrestling a lot with various things. Like when I was at Redeemer, um, I felt like I experienced a lot of times where whether I talked about issues like homosexuality or... um, women speaking in the church, being pastors in the church. Uh, I was always like naturally affirming of these things, but then I came across a lot of people who uh, did not feel the same way and they really didn't feel that uh, God felt the same way either in their way of experiencing and thinking and perceiving the Holy Spirit. And that was really, really, really confusing to me mm. um, to just kind of be like, okay, like am then I must be, if it's, if everyone else is so confident and I am not so sure. And like, there's all of these books talking about, uh, you know, like homosexuality being, um, not allowed or women in, in leadership positions, not being allowed. Um, but then being a woman myself and feeling like I do have access to the Holy spirit, Mm -hmm. it was very confusing. And around the same time, my brother came out as gay Mm -hmm. And uh, so wrestling with like seeing his relationship, which was much more beautiful and loving than a lot of the relationships I have witnessed in my life and just being like, okay, like what, what is all of this? Like, how is it that, um, how is it that people can perceive the Holy Spirit differently? And I think uh, one of the things that's tough is within a lot of the Christianity discourses that I grew up with, there was always this like true christianity mm-hmm. idea mm-hmm. and um also like to be a true christian maybe people didn't say true christian but like to really be all in mm-hmm. there were specific things that you had to do and um everyone it felt like everyone with authority spoke about their christianity as the true christianity but then the ramifications of that is that every other christianity threatens to be the false Christianity and the wrong Christianity. And so then from that comes othering, tons of othering, tons of divisiveness. Mm -hmm. Um, And then I think for me, a big part of grappling with this Holy Spirit thing too, was recognizing that I didn't realize how deeply intertwined my faith was with histories of colonialism and genocide and um, imperialism. And uh, when I came to recognize that that was really in our recent Christian past, and I was like, how is it that certain Christians interpreted the Holy Spirit to say that this was an okay thing for them to do? And so for me, this really shattered my perspective of what I could trust um, about what I believed, uh, what I could trust about other people saying to me. Um, And for a long time, I had to like fully stop and question everything and not uh, take 
any or not believe anyone what they were saying about their faith um, and what they were saying about the Holy Spirit. And I think this kind of goes into my desire and love for affect um, because um, affect is essentially, as I mentioned earlier, the emotion, the collective emotions uh, of an environment that you're in, and then how they convict and direct you as if you believe that they're like only stemming from within you. So also of the mm-hmm. affect belief is that like we are not separated from our environments mm-hmm. and our cultures. We are really, really intertwined. And so the decisions that we're making, how we perceive the Holy Spirit is wrapped up in these cultures of influence that we have grown up with our whole lives. Everything that we learn influences how we perceive and see the Holy Spirit and the things that we don't learn as well. Like I didn't really learn much about histories of colonialism and uh, stuff like that, or you don't learn much about like, well, I didn't learn much about affirming homosexuality or women in the church. And I think that was a a result of when we were born in Christian history, because you see those conversations happening a lot more now. Mm -hmm. Um, But I've just been really interested as of late to look at how affect and emotions uh, show up as our perceptions of the Holy Spirit, Mm -hmm. because I recognized Um, That for me, a lot of my belief of the Holy Spirit was actually fear, shame, impulses that I was acting out of, or, you know, like to be that true Christian, Mm -hmm. um, there's certain ways that you have to act and then your body almost like uh, convicts you towards those actions and you may learn to perceive that as being the Holy Spirit, but then at the same time, identify other things as being Satan or the devil or sinful thoughts and stuff. So, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's tough to really nail down like one exact, like, uh, wrong here, but mostly just grappling with learning that there isn't just one Holy Spirit that is easily accessible and easily identifiable outside of all of the cultural influences that we have. Mm -hmm. Yeah. This is so fascinating to me because, um, yeah, I, I mean, it's interesting. I like, I didn't have the same perception of the Holy spirit going in, I think, but I relate to so many of the other things that you said. So it's just really, because I, I think coming up as we did through like, similar context, like the camp context, all this sort of thing, you know, people mm-hmm. would always be like, Oh yeah, Holy Spirit's moving. I can feel the call. I can feel the whatever, you know, a lot of that action. And I was always like, man, what the hell are these people talking about? You know, like, <laughs> yeah. I, <laughs> like I, I'm not getting that. And I'd be like, I feel like emotional, you know, like we're having worship and it's great. You know, my, I'm feeling like this emotional experience, but I would always mm-hmm. associate that with it as being an emotional kind of experience, you know? So mm-hmm. I was always very curious, like, wow, what is it like to hear these voices and have all those kind of experiences? So, but that's really interesting to hear you coming from this perspective where it's like, no, I, I, I was in that, like I was having those kinds of things. And then mm-hmm. I later uh, came to the point where, uh, of seeing that maybe that is more of like an affective Thing as well yeah i think it's really wonderful to um think really seriously about these i mean wonderful but i, I think it's good <laughs> like healthy you know to think really seriously about these the particularities of these christian histories and everything yeah because you say it, it's in our recent history and it's like well it's even contemporary right a lot of these absolutely absolutely yeah and i think the interesting thing about being uh just a christian in the way like my parents were always really involved in missions mm-hmm. um but i couldn't i couldn't see that like the christianity that i was a part of uh was still participating in these imperial legacies yeah. and colonial legacies and you just learn not to see it but then at the same time i felt like i was having so many conversations with people even at redeemer like people my age where they would say things like oh no like uh 
Christianity is only love and the like convinced that um, nothing that the Christian legacy can do can be harmful, but then simultaneously be like, well, any of the harm that has been done isn't true Christianity, which is really harmful. Like what is this true Christianity? (laughs) (laughs) It's such, and it's such a cop out, you know, but it's a very common, very common move. I think it's a real, a real danger for sure to have this narrative like, Oh, well, that's not real Christianity. That's not the true Christianity. And it's like, okay. And they didn't get it right for all these, you know, multiple thousands of years, you know, it just wasn't the true mm-hmm. one. I, I think we yeah. need to take a bit more of a, of a, of a broader perspective and be able to like include these histories and take them really seriously. Mm-hmm. And say, oh, like those, mm-hmm. those were our ancestors and our predecessors and those mm-hmm. are part of our, our faith and spiritual traditions. And how do we, mm-hmm. how do we wrestle with that in a way that's a bit more honest than just saying oh no we can just yeah. like cut that out and say that's not really it's not really part of it like only this love um is only this love is part of it yeah and then like the beautiful thing what happens when we own those histories mm-hmm. like when we own those histories as our own christianity then we are able to look the evil and the harm in directly and then reshape and uh I think beautiful things like liberation theology have come up as a result, womanist theology, all of these really, really beautiful ways of reclaiming faith and learning how to actually care and love people in a universal way. Um, I think that there's a tough part of Western Christianity that I wrestle with, which is based in hierarchies. Mm -hmm. And so like this similar kind of true false faith dichotomy, creating one Christianity as true and one Christianity as false or many Christianity as false Mm -hmm. creates like a lot of uh just hierarchical division of what is closer to christ and what is farther away from christ but um trying to i guess alleviate those like even uh it shows up everywhere in my death and dying class i was telling you about Mm -hmm. um there was this girl who brought up that uh her she okay so we were talking about christian um funerals and kind of this idea that when people who aren't true christians pass away maybe even people who don't identify as christians pass away they um may talk about heaven, you know, like this person has passed now they're in a better place. They're in heaven. And this girl was writing a response, just being like, I'm offended as a true Christian. Like this is, they are probably not actually going to heaven. And, um, I think there's like a few things to unwind here. Mm -hmm. Like, first of all, um, a lot of people in the West only really know how to deal with death through Christianity, that lens. Um, but also like the fact that you kind of undermine other people's experiences by making claims to this true, what, like only certain people have access to the true experience of heaven or the true experience of being able to, uh, you know, do a funeral yeah. uh, ritual experience um, properly. And so it just like comes out in so many ways that people are experiencing these hierarchies and and believing that they are tr- they are right rather than potentially uh, that there are multiple like different perspectives mm-hmm. and complexities at play. Yeah, especially when it comes to death, you know, it's like how cruel is it to say like oh you're mourning, your mourning should be even more because this person is like you know actually separated from god you know mm-hmm. um and, and only we can like mourn in the way yeah. that is like true and appropriate it's like yeah that's a really unkind and cruel distinction i think um that gets drawn i'd be i'd be interested to bring it back around to the holy spirit thing um and and people um uh, people kind of having a sense um that like this is like the thing that is true and i like that's what this podcast is is you know looking at the times looking back when we we're like oh i thought that was the case but it, it maybe it wasn't um i'm wondering if you have some insight into sort of um where where the space is for grace with that and where the space is for like 
calling out or conviction. Like I think about preachers on TV a year ago that were like, oh, you know, the Holy Spirit is telling me that Trump is going to win this election and you should donate to you should give us money for this to like so that God will like give you a blessing back. And um, like that, like I can look at that and be like, they're using the language of the Holy Spirit. And if we want to say like, oh, there's so many different expressions of Christianity and it's all like it's all relative and it's all context and things like that, like that feels wrong like, mm. like it feels like that's just straight up evil mm-hmm. um and then i've got like my experiences of um friends that have been praying for me and been like oh the holy spirit's telling me this and i'm like i don't know about that but i'm like this is cool like this person is like is yeah. is thinking about me and maybe it is like the affect of, of their their surroundings like one time somebody was like oh i'm getting an image of a bike and i like looked across the circle and the person across the circle from her was wearing a t-shirt with a bike on it and i was mm-hmm. like okay like that's lovely <laughs> like i'm mm-hmm. i'm psyched that this person is is uh connecting with me and, and sharing this insight uh with me in that way yeah. um so i don't know i guess my question or my my directing of this conversation is kind of where where is the space for sort of a relativity? Uh, where is the space for saying like this is evil and this is wrong and this is not the Holy Spirit? And where's mm-hmm. the like where's the grace and um, how do we navigate that? Mm. Yeah. yeah, that's a big question. Um, I think that first of all, like uh, believing in the uh, the God that I believe if there is a God, then, you know, um, and if Jesus does exist in the way that I perceive that he did, then there's so much grace for all of these conversations, whether it's, um, people who like Josh Harris, I'm interested in him because of all of the harm that he's done Mm -hmm. and then how he's like coming back around to, uh, try like admitting that he's wrong and trying to make a different, uh, different societal narratives. And so I think one of the things I've been learning in all of this is that, yeah, people who are navigating the Holy Spirit um, are often navigating like really, really, uh, they're navigating meaning and purpose and trying to figure out um, what's right and what's wrong, which are beautiful things. Like those are human things to do. And so I think it makes sense that we all experience it differently. We all have different experiences and yeah, Tim, like you, I come across a lot of people who um, these days I, I try and uh, think about their experience of the Holy spirit as being just like their expression of love and even their expression of emotion and beautiful emotions sometimes like a lot of times. Um, yeah. I think that the really tough thing is when we come across when the Holy spirit is being used as a mechanism for the perpetuation of oppression. Mm-hmm. And that one I think we have to tread really gently with um, because I don't think that these people are genuinely acting out of hate ever. I think so often these people are acting out of true belief. Um, For instance, right now I'm reading uh, American Apocalypse by Matthew Avery Sutton, and he looks at, uh, you know, how a bunch of radical fundamentals and uh, evangelicals came to like really try and convince America that the apocalypse was coming. Mm -hmm. And as a result, they legislated like anti-homosexuality and um, not allowing women to be pastors and like really, really, you know, uh, taking up oppressive law, like putting putting oppression into laws, which is really harmful. But they were doing it because they were convinced that the apocalypse was happening and they needed to prepare themselves in the way that needed to be, that they perceived was the right way. And in my research, I'm learning that evangelicals, Christians, um, radical Christians in, in many cases, often really believe that the body and the mind is a site for demonic possession. And I I know, like, because I grew up with a Pentecostal dad, spiritual warfare was a huge part of my upbringing. And spiritual warfare is also um, terrifying at the same time, like wrestling with these good and bad and, uh, but cosmically good and bad, which is the really terrifying part of it. And if you truly believe it, which I think a lot of Christians earnestly really believe what they're believing, um, then there are consequences and the logical consequences of a lot of these beliefs do sit in oppression. Just yesterday, actually, um, in Hamilton, there's a church that I know a bunch of folks that go to and they released that they're doing a um, 
they're going to be doing a six week series on sexuality, but focusing on uh, how God only ordains same sex marriages and the queer community. Wait, only ordains uh, same sex marriages? <laughs> Sorry, sorry, thank you. <laughs> Yo, what a sick. twist. Yeah, like... <laughs> what a twist. Church is rad. I'm really glad you caught me. Um, but that God only ordains uh, heteronormative monogamous marriages, yeah. I should say. And uh, the queer community, just like so many people have left that church as a result. And the queer community just were like, you don't realize how re-traumatizing, how harmful this is for all of us. And being on the other side and myself, I do also identify as queer. So I see this in a lived experience perspective. But being on the other side and when you sit in a kind of marginal perspective it's easy to see like i am just a human as equal as i i am to you what you are to yourself and what your spouse is to you but um for some reason there's been these uh chasms cause that exist within us and my body has been identified one way than yours but um tim to go back to your question i think to have these conversations it takes a lot of patience and love and time tim i feel like i i don't i don't know the answer to your question how do we how do we reckon with um harmful uh interpretations of the holy spirit um and i think that's kind of where my disturbance with all of this comes from Mm -hmm. uh how do we even know when an interpretation is harmful? It's sometimes it's really hard to distinguish. Um, do you? Do either of you have any thoughts on this? Well, I I appreciate how generous you are to um, everyone espousing these sorts of interpretations, saying that uh, you know that they're at bottom true believers and they're not just cynically deploying it and so on. Uh, I don't know if I'm quite that uh, magnanimous towards others. I think, uh, you know, some people are very uh, exploitative Mm -hmm. and cynical and uh, that these things are used in some very dark ways sometimes. And um, it's circling around, it's circling around that, uh, the commandment, you know, don't take the Lord's name in vain. Like, how are we, uh, how are we determining when it is in vain? And I think when it is used, when the, when the fruits that it bears are these kind of, forms of oppression, you know, um, to me, that's a pretty good indicator that that's not, um, that's not coming from the Holy spirit, you know, that that's not, um, sort of an instantiation of Christian, um, uh, of a Christ-like life, you know, Uh, I think that those are, those are definitely indicators I, I find, um, when, when I think about this stuff and it's like, yeah, it, it's really treacherous stuff because on the other hand as well, um, you know, the oppressors have all the time in the world, you know, uh, they have to just wait it out at the top of the status quo. Like it's in their best interest not to ask these sorts yeah. of questions about, Oh, you know, should women be allowed to speak in church? Should we accept queer people? Like are, are, yeah. are do black lives matter? You know, it's, it, it's in their interest not to, and they, um, are going to uh, just wait around. And so it, they're, on the one hand, you're like, oh, well, we need to have patience and there'll be like these generational shifts. And I think that's true to an extent, but I do think there are people in our generation who are waiting in the wings, ready to step into some of those roles um, that are incredibly hostile. Mm-hmm. And, you know, in a certain sense, it is uh, more conflictual in my perspective than um, than just like a historical trend or something like that. And that there is, there is like a... Mm-hmm. You know, I, I hesitate to use the term spiritual warfare, but there is conflict, you know, um, within uh, within the Christian tradition itself. The Christian tradition is not, as we've been saying, like it's not a unitary thing. And there are very different um, uh, interests that are expressed in Christian terms, whether those are um, economic interests, whether those are interests in maintaining certain racial or gender hierarchies, right? Um, yeah. You know, and people are committed to those uh, those hierarchies and those, those forms of oppression. They're committed to their experience of um, having that superior, superiority over others. And when you come for that, when you challenge that, you know, there is a 
um, there is always a backlash. So mm-hmm. I am, um, I'm, I'm just finding myself thinking about, um, you know, somebody, somebody who's listening to this podcast who, um, has uh experiences whether it be like in in a worship context or in a in a prayer context or mm. has had experiences in their day-to-day life that they've interpreted to be the holy spirit speaking to them um and i don't uh, i don't want this podcast to just be the episode of like yeah it's not <laughs> it's not it it's not the holy spirit you're you're either evil or you're you're <laughs> wrong i've been bringing my thoughts around to the the new testament writers and and paul uh specifically talks about um like yeah. discerning spirits and that um there's an element of discernment and he talks about like what the fruits of the holy spirit are so like if if something is of the holy spirit it's going to have these qualities mm-hmm. um like somebody i don't remember if it was olivia or keegan said earlier like if it is uh perpetuating some sort of oppression then that's not the holy spirit and, and there is there's that element of discerning um these kinds of things so i yeah i don't i don't want this to just be the podcast where we completely deconstruct that um and just and just ruin it for for Mm -hmm. people um that that is my temptation very easily because i'm somebody who has 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 never really had any experience that i could confidently Mm -hmm. attribute to to god speaking to me and so i'm kind of bitter about it um (laughs) but uh but that is a significant part of people's lives so like we've been talking about like it's 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 a discerning of like okay where what influences are in my life what um what influences are in the room around me like how many bridges of oceans have we played um and let's take (laughs) that into account um when i'm discerning kind of what this experience is that i'm having and this can be from God and it can be very much from me. Like it could, um, I don't even remember what the, what the person who was praying about the bike thing said. Um, but that was very much like a, they saw a bike and it came to their mind and that was a, a thing that was happening in the room. But that doesn't mean that there wasn't something holy mm-hmm. and, um, divine about that. Yeah. But I don't, I don't mean that to be a, a prescription for the, for the, this is the opinion of the hub. Do you, do you mm-hmm. all want to bounce back on me on that one? No, I like that. I think it's important to circle back to this and definitely by no means am I meaning to say like the Holy Spirit doesn't exist. And uh, I think, I think it is important for all of us to be really mindful of the legacies of uh, how we learn the Holy Spirit. And even going back to what Keegan, what you were saying there, like, yeah, I, I think both of what you just said pair really well together. Um, Like what are the fruits that we're seeing from the Holy Spirit? Uh, And is it, is it love? Is it um, joy? Is it gentleness? Is it all of these things that uh, are beautiful? And I still would say like, I have always felt really connected to the Holy Spirit. Like from a very, very young age, I remember being connected to what I perceived to be the Holy Spirit. And I still do feel that um, deeply. And Mm so like, yeah, as I talk about this podcast, it's, um, I, I, I find myself sensing the Holy Spirit most these days when I'm connecting with, um, theologies of folks who are reinterpreting the Bible for liberation and for counter-cultural, like counter-Christian cultural love, I mm-hmm. guess, or maybe I should say counter-empirical kind of love and, um, yeah, I guess what I find really tough about this conversation and what you were saying, Keegan, it's like, how do we try and uh, facilitate bringing the Holy Spirit to this this space of helping people to see the fruits or to value the fruits more than maybe they value the doctrine that they grew up in? Because the doctrine... Um, is a big part of how people perceive and understand the Holy Spirit. And I think like, it's really hard to change somebody's internal experience of the Holy Spirit, even when you try and push back against them, you know, saying like, this isn't the Holy Spirit. For a lot of people, that's really threatening. And not a lot of people want to easily think about that with you. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? So um, how do we have these interfaith kind of inter-Christian community dialogue? when uh, we believe the Holy Spirit to be this uh, not uh, like this liberative, uh, full of love, uh, anti-oppression kind of force. But then there's other folks who also believe that their Holy Spirit 
based in, you know, kind of anti LGBTQIA, anti women in leadership, like they also believe that to be like non, not based in oppression. And um, so it's, it, this is where I find it really tough to navigate. And um, one thing that I was thinking of though, Keegan, when you were talking, I've been reading this book called Hashtag Church Two, mm. um, which is written by a individual named Emily Joy Allison. And she was essentially talking about how uh, the Christian church that she grew up in and Christian church and purity culture at large uh, enables abuse. Specifically, she was talking about sexual abuse. But uh, towards the end, she was kind of calling all of the readers to, um, if we talk about what what does it mean to lose your life to gain it? Um, what does that mean? And for her, it meant uh, speaking out, losing her family and her whole Christian community. Mm. And in that, she gained the opportunity, like she really felt like she gained closeness to Christ and closeness to, you know, standing up for folks who have had to have their abuse silenced for years and she lost a lot. So what does it mean for us to put our lives on the line for these um, practices of love and I recall, and when I was thinking about this question, I recall a silent retreat that I went on um, in 2018, and I was reading the Bible and thinking like, oh, I need to sell all of my things. I need to sell my phone, my car, everything. I've been there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and yeah. Uh, people kept telling me after I like got out of it, like people of faith kept being like, Oh no, no, that's not really what that verse means. Like it's not super <laughs> important for you to sell. Like God blesses people with wealth and, oh, and like, so <laughs> just kind of being like, okay, like, um, but what does it mean to live your life on the line and like lay down your life uh, for Christ in a way that actually has like, tangible societal um impacts yeah yeah and yeah. i think another big thing i'm going on a little rant here but before you can kind of um I guess, reckon with these things, you have to see that the world that we currently live in has value. And I think for me growing up, so much of the perspective that I learned was like, well, yeah, it sucks right now that we're living here. And there's a lot of horrible things that are happening here. But that is just the demonstration that this world is temporary and heaven is our home. Mm -hmm. But learning that like, this place is also like, important. Mm -hmm. Really, what we see and what we interact with really shapes um, the Holy Spirit. And so I think that our generation, the generations that came before us, like mainly white at large, are at a disadvantage, I would say, right now in, in reshaping and reframing our faith as a result of the environments that we've grown up in. And so I just, it's tough for me to try and be like, now, how do we, how do we try and reshape that? Because mm -hmm. it's so complex. Um, I don't know if any of you have thoughts, Keegan. No, that, that, I think that's so true. Like you just raised so many good points here. Um, I, I, yeah, I also think that as a white Christian, it's especially more difficult to, you know, white Christians are undergoing more of a profound spiritual crisis than any other form of Christianity. And I think we mix that up with saying like, oh, Christianity in general is undergoing a spiritual crisis. And it's like, maybe like Christianity and whiteness are parting ways in some important, in, in, in an important mm. sense. And like, you know, what would it mean to really apprentice ourselves and make ourselves learners to um, Christians in other places in the, in the world, or even um, in uh, North America, you know, like, I think at this point, for example, yeah, black liberation theology in the United States, like that has to be some of the most important um, uh, yeah. textual tradition that we're turning to, to try and understand what this, what this faith means, you know, that that's mm -hmm. really listening to um, the voice of the people who were, you know, explicitly oppressed by, you know, white Christians. Right. And mm -hmm. so what, what is the um, impact on uh, the people who had this experience of slavery? You know, what does mm -hmm. it really mean to break the chain? and this kind of thing like you know how can we yeah. use that language if we don't even know what those experiences are like so mm -hmm. just apprenticing ourselves mm -hmm. to that i think um 
um, is a way of learning where where the spirit is 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 moving you know in our world today um, yeah and I think the other point that you made about um, the reevaluation of this world as opposed to like some other heavenly realm to which you'll be whisked away at a certain point you know uh, that was that, that impacted me very greatly as well in, in in my kind of life and growing like thinking about yeah how how do you really think about this world you know is this world just this miserable place where like eventually it will be better you know and um, yeah. I, I, I think coming to the conclusion that that means you kind of wish death on this world, you know, it's like, yeah, yeah you're like longing for death and that's very sad yeah. and very grim and not a very yeah. healthy, like psychic way to be in the world, I think. And um, so I recall that being very important to me as well, like having that kind of realization. Um, yeah. Yeah. Those are just a couple of thoughts there. We could, we could go for hours and hours. Yeah. I feel like yeah. that could be a whole yeah. thing here. The, <laughs> Do a whole separate podcast on the valuing this world as opposed to the next type of thing. Mm -hmm. um, there was something you said, though, Keegan, that like immediately as it was spoken out of your mouth, I like felt that like a complete filling with what I would say is like the Holy Spirit yeah. in me was. Uh, yes. Bring um, it back around. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You said, uh, I think that we're at a point where Christianity and whiteness are at a are like separating. Mm -hmm. And to me, that's just like, wow, like it just brought so much joy to think about it in this yeah. way. Like, yeah, because I think so much of what we've been talking about so far is how our perspective, our perspectives of um, learned inherited Christianity and the Holy Spirit have been uh, built in these like histories of empire. And when we talk about whiteness for listeners who are white and may be like, what, like I'm white and separation of white, what does that mean? Like yeah. whiteness is a construction of, um, superiority, we could say. Um, mm -hmm. and to have that separate, um, and to be alive, I think during that separation, though it's, horrible like a lot of the things that are happening is horrible it's also so insanely beautiful to be having these conversations with both of you and uh at larger just being like yeah like christianity and whiteness separating is a is a i would say like um christ fruit you know yeah. happening here uh and uh, yeah i just think that's so beautiful thanks for uh, saying that even though you probably just said it yeah. <laughs> Well, you know, it's, uh, I hope it's true. <laughs> yeah, that's true. It's, yeah. I was thinking about this podcast coming on it and being like, oh, I wonder like in a year, if I listen to this again, how much I'll be wrong about. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> well, yeah. that's the whole game. Then we'll just have to circle back around season two or something. right? Like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> maybe that's, uh, maybe that's how we, we bring it around. Maybe yeah. that's how we wrap it up. Like the, the, the crux of this podcast is that uh being able to look back on how we've been wrong um and a lot of this conversation is about christianity as a whole and the directions of christianity especially white christianity mm -hmm. um but uh it's it's coming from a place of us wanting to have conversations about uh places that we've been wrong yeah um and so if you're hearing this and you're coming from from a white christian perspective like the three of us are um mm -hmm. it's worthwhile to say like you know like jesus said you know take the plank out of your own eye and then work on the specks in other people's eyes like mm -hmm. the the interior discernment of of what is the spirit in your life and the the interior looking at the the plank in your own eye is 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 really important work mm -hmm. uh, especially nowadays and especially uh for uh folks in uh western christianity mm -hmm. yeah yeah and we're lucky to be alive in like a therapeutic culture thriving time where like a lot of introspection uh, can also be carried over to our faith life too. Like yeah. earlier when I mentioned that a lot of my Holy Spirit perspectives were actually fear and shame. I wouldn't have known that if it weren't for like, you know, uh, other tools that I, that I got elsewhere. Um, and so I'm really thankful for, for that. But yeah, Tim, I totally agree. Like introspection and, and really questioning intentions is a tough thing to do, but probably one of the most worthwhile things uh it's beautiful to come out on the other side and be like wow i was acting in this way that i thought was natural but 
was formed somehow, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, we've been wrapping up with a lighthearted question. Mm-hmm. Uh, Olivia, could you tell us about your, your perfect day off? Sure. So my perfect day off would be that I set aside all of my work, no looming, nothing hanging, you know, uh, mental freedom. (laughs) Wake up maybe around 7.30, have a coffee and a little bit of dark chocolate. Um, Very nice. Yep. Maybe a little bit of journaling or reading. Um, I would love for it to be a spring day, spring, but like later spring, go for a hike uh, with some friends, um, have some great uh, vegan food to wrap off the day and maybe some thought provoking conversations that would and probably in there, some sort of animal interaction. (laughs) Very nice. Wow, that sounds great. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> no looming so, deadlines, great... you know? Must be nice, eh? <laughs> <laughs> it's a perfect day. They just disappear for this I day. This yeah. ideal day. <laughs> Alrighty. Um that's an episode. I think every episode will end with us talking about how we don't know how to end the episode. Should probably okay. say, Olivia, thank you so much for joining us. It has been yes. a real pleasure to talk to you. You know, you've uh raised just some incredibly thought-provoking points and yeah again like i feel like so many of these things we could talk about for hours and so only for the sake of this podcast we'll probably wrap it here but yeah i really appreciate you joining us and just like sharing your perspective because that was really great Mm -hmm. it was really fun to chat with you both thank you